of Ash and Flow. This is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around and listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. Hey, Flo, we're back. Hey, Ash, we are back. And uh, I, I just wanted to let people know that we'll dip into our best of archive because we're going to go on a little summer break like every other podcast, you know, right? Just kidding. Yeah. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we keep going with, with new episodes and uh, we have a guest here today. Uh, and, and we're delighted to have you on. Uh, Arohi Sen, who's a senior principal thought leadership research at Accenture and uh, Arohi, maybe you can add a little bit to this introduction, but you, you spent some time as a as a researcher, as a knowledge service provider before that, right? So you've been doing research since kindergarten, I'm guessing. I don't know. How, how's that? How's that come together? <laughs> yes, yes. 15 years and, and counting. Nice. And uh, And we brought you in because we ourselves were interested and we got a couple of questions around how do you actually do one of those big, meaty, flagshipy pieces of thought leadership research, right? The pieces consulting firm has put out where it's not just a bit of desk research, but it's an actual, a huge, I don't know, survey or interview effort, um, maybe even global that goes into it. How would you run such a project? Because that's essentially what you do for a living, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Oh. All right. Um, so when you say mid to large size, um, our definition for that is uh, anywhere between 300 and 300 to 400k to all the way up to maybe a million dollars. And yeah, that, that that's significant spend. Um, yes. And and so we we try and take it seriously. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> but um, but most of that spend is is necessary, and it's always almost um, justified. Uh, yeah, I mean, no matter what kind of topic your research is on, if you're if you're looking for a multi-industry, cross-industry kind of research uh, yeah. spanning ten, twelve countries, um, you need to spend that much. You'll probably do. Uh, uh, a C-suite survey. The sample size you're looking at is anywhere between 1,500 to 2,000 C-suite executives. Probably because anything below that is is a sample not representative yeah. uh, for for your population. And um, and then that survey itself costs, you know, ballpark numbers here anywhere between. 200 to 300k um so so the remainder of the budget you just mentioned is then people on the inside experts from the consulting practice obviously your team if it's a major effort pick, picking up the the survey results and, and producing the actual thought leadership no no that's 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 separate uh that's the extra period, on top okay okay that, that, i'm taking notes yeah <laughs> yeah that's extra that's uh that's uh payroll budget that we spend internally is, is absolutely separate. So 200, 300K is just the cost of the survey. It's just the survey. Uh, now it, yeah. But you it said 700 up. to a million. So where does the rest, where does the rest go? There's lots. So then you do the survey. If the survey cost can be inflated to about 
half a million dollars if you want company names. And I, I always advise for that because the thing with surveys is that you want to do so much more with the survey data. And if, yeah. you, if it's an anonymous survey, then there's very little you can do with it. If you have company names, the agency will charge you extra for that. And then, you know, you can do a lot with the company. You can analyze their actual reported financial data. You can look at all different kinds of metrics. Now we're looking at um, stuff that's beyond financial performance, you know, yeah. like uh, performance on ESG metrics. Um, if you don't do a named survey, uh, you miss out on all that. And, nice. uh, and so, so, yeah, so the cost can be. And then you want to do some interviews qualitative in-depth interviews with executives that's about uh $2000 a piece typically if and you And how want. many how many do you, would you typically do let's so you have a sample size of 1000 survey responses did i get that correctly yeah. 1000 1500 already from senior people yeah. and then you do on top how many how many interviews one, one for each region or or industry or how does it Yeah typically you want to do two per industry at the bare minimum and then you want to also ensure that you have a good mix uh, by function. So you don't want all COOs or CO CSOs. Okay. You want a good mix by function. Yeah. If you have 12 industries, it goes up to around 30 uh, interviews, 30 to 50. Yeah. That's another 60 to 80 K. And then, so that's, that's research got, but then what we also do at the onset is look at costs we need to incur for analysis. And yeah. so um, there are agencies which do regular, you know, they automate analysis on a large scale. So if you do industry cuts or functional cuts of your large survey, um, they can automate that analysis uh, and, you know, create hundreds and thousands of slides with minimal effort, right? Mm, thousands um, so, of slides, nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, things, um, you know, people love. Um, yeah. at, at some places. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, to, to be maybe to be clear, to it's a consultancy audience, thing, like yeah, regardless to, of to, where to you are. Audience, I think I think what you're referring yeah. to, Arohi, is that there is these are not just a thousand slides. There's a thousand ways to cut a single chart. For example, if you have again, you just said, what do we have? Twelve industries. So you have just one type of visualization. I don't know, return on investment for a certain type of AI use case, and then people can select. Right? Is that for which industry yeah. you want to have that? Which function does that happen in? Blah blah. I don't know. So that's where the that's where it adds up or it it, it it multiplies up. And before we lose all the remaining listeners who don't have a million dollars in research budget, I should be I should be clear. What I what I like about your definitions here is a while ago we had um, Andy on from from Gris. They have to put the research notes. Yeah. The, 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 sorry, the episode title in the show notes. Um, mm -hmm. And that's an agency that specializes in research-driven thought leadership. They produce the, the final pieces. And he he believed very strongly in the value of adding these things you just said. He said, always go multi-industry, always right, see if you can have representative sample sizes across multiple countries and so forth. Because, yeah, there's an increased cost, but the return at the back end, and he was marketing only so he said yeah if you want to publish it multiple countries and you have representative data for each one obviously that increases your chances of press pickup yeah. and so forth so he advised on that but what you just said there with the named surveys for example just to be clear that's massive benefit for for the practice as well right because maybe they can use your research to 
drive some consulting deliverables or they could come up with an account strategy or whatever. So you you mentioned some very big numbers, but I'm guessing the the actual value of the piece once it's there justifies the prices, right? So we, we, yes. people should overcome the sticker shock, I believe. Um, obviously, if you're yeah, a 15 no. person consulting firm, it's probably not for you, but okay. Um, yeah, might, might no, this one is, day. <laughs> yeah, but this is assuming that you want your research to have a two to three year long tail and you want oh. to drive multiple yeah. client assignments with it. There, there are diagnostic tools and, and playbooks and everything coming out of it. Yeah. And, and, and so there, there are so many assets that you can uh, use and utilize and milk through the years for the next two to three years until your next big research comes in because there's no way you can you can invest a million dollars every year. Uh, yeah. That's yeah, that's just right. too much. So maybe uh, um, if, if I interrupt, maybe what could help our audience is like the considerations you want to take before you start this research. You're putting the money in, but then if you're going long tail, what considerations do you think? You know, someone's going into the research. What should they start with? Well. Um, I think, and this is probably also the biggest challenge, but one of the things we should look at is, will this serve the direction of our business for the next couple of years? If, yeah. if, if the stakeholder, if the business owner thinks that he's, he's likely to change track, change strategy uh, in the coming year, then you know that's, that's the end of the conversation. You should not go ahead and invest in something yeah. this big um, because there's no way that you can um you can morph the data to suit your new objective um, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean i think i've seen it i've seen it tried sometimes that there's something you can salvage but it can be later and and i mean talking outside our own consulting box just a little bit i think a typical area where this happens is all the cybersecurity stuff right like the threat yeah. landscape changes like by yeah. the week and then yeah that might be that might happen to you depending a little bit in which industries you play in but I, so, so it's interesting because what you said, I want to dwell on this a little. I think it's actually a mindset shift for people because you, you, had a, you had a few quite big numbers, but what you're saying is this is for three years, multiple pieces. So let's make it a million at the outset. But I think if you look at it at a per piece or per marketing campaign cost basis, it suddenly becomes, for lack of a better word, relatively cheap. Because what, what I see often happen in practice is a consulting firm goes and says, oh, we need a study in this and that market for this year. And then they spend, I'm going to make up some numbers, but somewhere between 35 and 75K for one of those, also empirically done, quite nice, but mostly marketing state of the industry surveys. So that's 75 grand gone but it's a one shot or gone invested but it's a one shot exercise but i think that's how many firms most firms i interact with think about this stuff whereas your approach is let's have a discussion what could be strategically valuable for three years and then do one major research effort and let's maximize the returns on that which i think on a, by an on campaign or on piece basis you might even come out with less than I don't know, 75 grand per thing. Yeah. Plus you have the added benefits you mentioned if I do a name survey and so forth, right? This, this can really drive, it's not just for my marketing function, it's for the business I have also. Which is why I don't like calling it a research project. And uh, which, which is why I think it's more like a program. It's a two, three year program. It's a campaign. Yeah. You, can, you, you can call it different things. Excellent but um, and, and then yeah, see how see how you can use it, and and we we're still getting returns on investment from 
service we've done back in 2016. Uh, we still have clients coming back because they've seen some research report somewhere and it still works for them because the thing with digital transformation, which is what most consultants. That's another cool point, but I, but I feel like I interrupted a little bit. So because Ash asked, how do you approach this? So you said first step is take a long-term view, right? Think of it as a program mm -hmm. and make a this, decide whether or not to head in this direction based on an assessment, right? Will this last us for, for a long time? Yeah. So cool. What, what would be a second step or was it, what's the second thing if, as people consider. approach yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, the second thing is, um, as, as, as a research team in a, in a professional services firm, uh, we love our frameworks. And so what I try and do, um, or rather what we try and do is we try and visualize the frameworks that will come out of this. And this is probably six months away, uh, from when we start the research, but it, it's useful to, to think about that and really invest, uh, a week or two thinking about all the frameworks that will come out of this research, because that's what sells in the end. And, and your survey design, uh, the questionnaire itself, what kind of research tools you pick will all decide whether you can make a framework work or not. Yeah. For example, um, let's you have a framework, which ties investments in, um, carbon capture technologies to financial gains. Now yeah. there, there is no way you can create a reasonably intelligent framework, uh, to show that if you don't have, um, a survey with named companies, for example, um, if you don't get, if, if you survey companies below the $1 billion revenue threshold, again, that framework will not be possible. If yeah. you, if you interview, um, if you interview people only from the sustainability practice, Again, you can't make that framework because what you need for any reasonably intelligent ESG framework is a multifunctional view of how ESG investments impact growth uh, yeah. in other parts of the business. So, the, which is why it's so important to, you know, visualize and talk to your stakeholders about what kind of framework you want to sell at the mm -hmm. end of this exercise, um, and then. Uh, work backwards on your research design and what research assets you want want to invest in. Which which I, I love is, sorry, I'm sort of repeating back to you what you just said, but um, I want to call out these points because again, what is the difference I see here between what you just said and what I often see in the field, quote unquote, is clearly you make this about a framework that informs service delivery and business development. So you're not even thinking about, ooh, what's the marketing angle? How could I get press from this? Which that is what I see happen Honestly, in the better cases, like the, some of the research projects I see, they, they work better because people sit down at the outset and think about oh, what type of press coverage we want to elicit. What's, what could be the story here, right? They may, but it's, that is a mar that's a pure play marketing approach. Whereas you're doing it the other way around. You say, no, let's, let's build something for the business first, really validate it through the research we then drive, and eventually pack it, repackage that essentially, right? So we have a marketing thing going. That's neat. Yeah, because those uh, trillion dollar figures that you need for a headline, 
uh, will come yeah. eventually. And and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's needless to fret about that at the onset uh, yeah. because uh, if you have a good if you tee up a good economic modeling team or if you work with a vendor that that knows how to uh, model you know company level financial data into macroeconomic um, impact numbers then yeah you're 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 in a comfortable position what you what you don't want to do is i mean this is research for businesses such as ours it's not an exploratory research. I mean, there's some exploration in the process, but uh, we need to come out and deliver business outcomes. And yeah. so, yeah. And, yeah. and typically, you and, don't have to do the exploration because your consultants do this, right? They work with the clients, so they have a good understanding of what, like the, the business has some idea of what needs exploring, right? Which is why you probably get early into the, can, which we, why you can get into the, the framework thinking and the so forth. It's really fascinating because you seem to be thinking about all of this much more like your, pro, your program's objective is almost like a product development thing for the practice as opposed to it's an input to a marketing campaign, right? So... And uh, which I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying you're playing a completely different game here. <laughs> so. well, I, I'd like to add, Flo, like what Arohi seems to be saying is mostly apply the scientific method more than like just apply what is the market-driven outcome. Yeah. The, yeah. the question I do have because of because a lot of listeners might ask this is how do you avoid like, and I know this goes into the next segment, but uh, how do you avoid things like confirmation bias and everything? Because Clearly, when you're going in with the position, you have some givens, and sometimes you're trying, like, if you're going in a science way, you usually are trying to disprove what you're going to go out with. But if you're going in a consulting way, you might be looking for confirmation for a hypothesis you have. So, Your framework, things yeah. Like, yeah. So, things like this, how do you help manage? How do you, uh, like, avoid in some cases, etc.? Yeah. <laughs> It's an occupational hazard. Um, yeah. I, I, I'd say <laughs> when, uh, I mean, most most often, um, there are frameworks that that your leaders want to uh, want to go to market with, and mm -hmm. the job of research is to prove or disprove that and validate that to a certain mm -hmm. extent. And the hope always is that. Uh, there will be some version of that framework that we can finally go to market with. And what Flo said, we do have a very solid hypothesis when we are going into these research efforts. And there's always a risk that these hypotheses will get disproven, but um, there's always a good story on the flip side. Which is funny because I thought about that. I said sometimes the best, and now I'm talking marketing only, but sometimes the best stories come from when you are surprised by your own, like you had an expectation A and to your own surprise, you find something completely different. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Arohi, sad for, you know, sad instance for the framework idea, but, but marketing now has a great story because they look at this, like nobody expected whatever access, even we didn't expect, right? That, so yeah. That's yeah. So, uh, for it. example, uh, a, f a few years ago, we did a research where um, we thought um, we thought that you know it was all about cost optimization, and and players in the industrial space wanted to optimize cost. That's what that's that was our hypothesis going in, and then we 
we looked at the data and, and then we said, look, the data says they're spending more uh, and they aren't hesitating spending more. There's more cost involved. The costs are rising exponentially year on year. Um, and then we were able to say, maybe they want to incur those costs. Maybe these are costs which are looked at as investments. And because, you know, naturally, and I'm going into a research research deep dive here, but normally what you look at, what's reported financial data, um, you can interpret it so many ways. Which I think there's maybe putting this a bit together is what I'm hearing is, the, the risk of you being completely wrong at the outset is very limited because also in part because of the approach you take, because you've had this discussion, will this be important for the business? So the, 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 the research hypothesis is very close to your, to the firm's core business and to its core expertise, right? That automatically reduces the likelihood of it being completely BS, right? Because if your consulting firm is in business for more than a couple of years, probably, you know what you're doing in that industry, right? So I guess that, that takes quite a bit of risk of that table. And then, to your other point, yeah, sometimes there are surprising findings, but you might be able to still fill those in. I wanted to, on your on your how to approach this, because I know that from experience that you don't go out, you have the hypothesis, you know, the framework, and you don't now design the survey and blast it to a thousand people, right? You do, you do test samples also, right? Which I think that was first time I heard it was a bit new concept to me. Um, can you? talk us through that a little bit like once once you have the the building blocks in place how do you actually how does the actual research project progress like you build the survey out right and then then what happens and the question yeah. the survey so, questionnaire sorry i should have said yeah yeah so once the survey questionnaire is ready we we do pilot it in a couple of markets uh with across industries uh and and countries and we do typically 50 uh yeah we we field it to 50 executives uh and that's that's all we need to see if the questions are working if they're responding the way we expect them to respond like some of the questions can can when we're drafting them seem very obvious but then when we look at the way they're responding we realize that uh, uh yeah we we need to rephrase that um what also happens and then this happened recently is that when we launched our pilot, uh, we were um, the the conflict in in Ukraine began, and so if if such a if such an event hits you um, mm. at a time, you have time to adjust. Uh, yeah. You have time to recalibrate your survey tool. Um, you can add more questions. Um, you can you can relook at the questions you have uh, and and say. Hey, uh, this is not a twenty-five minute survey anymore. Um, maybe we should we should relook at the sample size again uh, because mm -hmm. uh, so th those are adjustments you can only make once you have done the pilot, which is why it's so useful. And I don't know, maybe that's me getting excited about the obvious, but I hadn't thought about it this way before I was involved in some of those large scale projects, but it, in hindsight it makes total sense to say, don't build a survey and then go out and do it. Like you might have to, like I did this probably for my master's thesis at university, right? You built one thing, you don't have much time. Well, no, no, do the opposite, test it, maybe tweak a test again and then build it up 
gradually because yeah it's it is an expensive yeah. piece of research mm -hmm. um you work for like for the actual feeling of the research you work with vendors right i mean we all know there's companies doing that but you mentioned something earlier where you said there's even vendors who help with analysis that like where, where can i ask where 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 do you use vendors in large-scale projects what, what what could i buy off the marketplace to get it done I mean, if i don't have all the capabilities in house flo if i can noodle on the question it doesn't necessarily have to be large-scale pro projects i'm just curious like when when do you recommend bringing in a vendor in general regardless of the scale of the project um so obviously there's a survey vendor which is separate but when yeah. it comes to uh, analyzing the data they obviously come in once you have 50 percent of the data in because that's when they know the structure of the survey uh they can see some trends shaping up uh, so when we when field work is 50 percent complete that's when we start to uh do the initial bit of analysis so we get our uh if we are doing it in-house then we we start right away if there's a vendor involved we kind of send them the data to to for them to take a quick look at it and mm -hmm. create some um you know they it could be as basic as cross tabs between questions or it could be some regression <clears throat> models even uh, that's that's the right time to bring in um a vendor it's especially useful to buy off the shelf um analytics uh help when you have a diverse set of data so if it's if it's just survey data you can probably do it in-house but if it's survey data combined with um, financial data which is reported um by these companies if it's esg data if it's uh you know you know multi-dimensional longitudinal data spread across multiple years where you know because things like financial data etc it's analyzed differently for different industries you know a financial sector uh, would would you know treat revenue and cost in a different way than than an automotive industry would so if it's multi multi-dimensional data, uh, that's when you really need um, help. And and these vendors, are they, I'm, I'm presuming there's a sliding scale between they just execute what you, you ask them to, or they're even, do they advise on the findings? Like they go through the data and come back and say, Mr. Sen, look what we found. We think it's interesting given the direction of your research. What's the level of their engagement, so to speak? Yeah, no, they, they come up with the insights. So oh, you cool. have to provide them a direction. Mm. You you yeah. do have to provide them a direction. You have to kind of tell them that, okay, if this is if this is the regression model we want you to run, mm -hmm. these are some of the input variables we think we want, and these are some of the output variables we want. And then they can they can start from there. Um nice. it, it can't be a, a blank piece of paper, no. Yeah. Cool. I mean, so now the project is going, right? Your role probably changed from advising the business, designing the, the brief or the inputs for the research. Now you're suddenly ha you're sort of in vendor management mode, I'm guessing, and firefighting when things go wrong, right? Is that true? You sort of project managing? Yeah, thing? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Service can get delayed uh, a lot, all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about what, what are the typical, like, what, what are the typical fires you got to fight in that stage? 
Well, there are quite quite a few. So there is there is the typical delay where you know it could be Easter weekend, uh, or it could be um, you know people going on holidays for some other reason. It could be uh, a geopolitical event. Um, anything and everything can delay field work. Um, so we we normally build in contingency um, about. 10% of the fieldwork time is built in as contingency at the onset. Um, so that's that's one of the things we do. And then there's uh, also uh, quality of the data, right? No, normally, when you're doing a survey with company names, you get, you know, you get multiple responses from the same company. Um, you, that's not always useful so you want to check for that um sometimes you know there are people responding and um you know what they say doesn't match with the actual report of financial data so you have to kind of qc that uh and then you know you let's say you lose 50 responses as as a result and so you go back to the vendor and say hey mm -hmm. These fifty didn't meet our quality standard, or you know, didn't yeah. meet our revenue benchmark. So, can you do them again? So, um, yeah. So there, there are all Which, kinds of delays, but nothing that 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 can't be solved for easily. I think. Yeah, but but now you're saying this, of course, because you know your stuff. So, but but I wanted to point out, I think what's interesting for people to understand here is that it's it very much pays to have someone in house who can do these kinds of checks. Like you probably don't need like a full room of data analysts or statisticians, but it is it does help if someone it's not just a your average sorry, not gonna insult project managers, but not any project manager can run this, right? It's not a multi-agency thing. You have to be able to to check the data, figure out stuff, you know, even understand enough of the content to make a call like, oh, this financial data these answers don't seem to fit bigger picture what I get from public reports and that type of stuff. I think that's a fairly involved effort from from side of your team right so yeah but if, yeah if you, you need a million on a research you, project you should probably also have that lined up in house yeah 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 you need people you need survey experts you need people who understand corporate finance you need mm -hmm. people who understand general uh, the macroeconomic situation at the moment uh, and then and then you need someone who can mediate between these between yeah. these people to say yeah. um, because you know corporate finance experts can come back and say yes you know sixty percent of your data is rubbish yeah. um, but then the survey expert will push back to say no in fact ninety percent of our data is good and so you know you need a PMO there to to yeah find the right balance nice which also subtext for people here is it's probably not someone who just left university <laughs> it could yeah. be could be if they're very good at stakeholder management but you need someone who can you know like you said you someone, push, push uh, back on serious people if you need yeah. to yeah um just one question, one more question to the vendors, and, and then I think we're, we're closing on time. So maybe we can wrap by repeating the critical steps. But 
is it does that exist as something I can also buy from the marketplace, like the experienced seasoned project manager just for these research projects? Can I have is there other freelancers doing this? Like, let's say my firm doesn't have someone, but I do have the money and I would like to pursue such a program. Could I find someone on the outside, or is that not something you? Uh, the thing is, no, I, I don't think <laughs> you have uh, you you can buy a PMO off the shelf. Now you can't even buy all all the different research streams off the shelf. Um, yeah. To be honest, um, there there are vendors who are good in doing interviews, and yeah. and they can also do surveys, but they can only do B two C surveys. Um, yeah. Then there are separate kinds of vendors who are great at B two B surveys, like interviewing other businesses. Um, there are vendors who are great in data visualization, but not so great in analytics. Yeah. And then there's the flip side of that who are great at analytics, but can't visualize data, uh, even if they're life dependent on it. So, um, so, uh, so you, you need, you need a multi vendor approach, um, yeah. <clears throat> in, in most cases, but, but for smaller projects, I've seen there are, there are, um, there are DIY tools, some great ones out there, which you can buy off the shelf and, and run a small survey, you know, 2000 consumer survey, yeah. 2000 odd consumer survey, and then do analytics on it. You, they have AI models running, which can analyze that data for you. Um, you, you can do a lot. Um, if you, if your scope of research is relatively controlled and, and if you're, and, and if it's a research project and not a program. Yeah. But mm -hmm. we're we're discussing programs today. Programs, yeah. So, yeah. so I realize we, we we're nearing the the mark where we'll have to let you go back to your programs to use that word again. But um, may, maybe in terms of a, a recap, maybe so again, so let's try and summarize the the critical steps or maybe the critical points you you highlighted. Right, first the first one I, I'll put and then I'll I'll let you pick up the rest, Ari, if you don't mind. Um, what we've discussed here is you should think of those as programs. Seemingly impressive price tag, but good ROI because this will last you for a couple of years and you'll have multiple, several opportunities to create a return on it. I think that was the first thing, right? So think about the mindset, think about it as the right way, approach it the right way. And then then what did we have? Um, then it's a framework, if I remember the right. Fra the framework, yeah, right. The, yeah, yeah, the hypothesis and the framework, yeah. Yeah, think of those beforehand. Um, do a decent job at creating a, a a good good framework that aligns, that marketing agrees to, that your stakeholders agrees to, and then um, build out backward uh, the research design from that. So yeah, yeah, um, and um, then kick off the project. Don't by not by going all in, but uh, have a have a pilot and a test. I think you said, and uh, yes, yes. Do a pilot, do a test, and and reevaluate if you need. Sometimes we've done surveys where we realized after doing the pilot that we don't need a survey at all, and so we scrapped that contract. So uh, you don't need a survey and interviews and something else and a group discussion. You can you can pick and choose at that later stage too. So okay, without uh, without having sunk the entire budget, I'm I'm presuming, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. so th that's a yes, yeah, good. That's a good one. Um, and then, yeah, we, we mentioned, then it gets into multi-vendor, multi-stakeholder management, yada, yada. I think your point there was 
make sure you have someone who really knows what they're doing and has a standing within the firm to to sort these things on the inside. Because if I understood you correctly, while there are good off-the-shelf narrow focus solutions, for a program like this, there's going to be lots of stakeholders, external vendors, and so forth. And someone has to clearly own that and and sort of steward the, the program to its successful end, I guess. Right. Yeah. When your when your research program is is a program, uh, you want your research uh, tools to be very bespoke, and and which is why uh, you need a PMO who can who can balance that, and then you who can you know push back uh, on people's version of the truth because everyone comes with data and says, hey, this is my version of the truth according to my data. You need to be able to uh, balance those expectations as a PMO. Nice. I think this is a great place to to almost leave it. Thank you very much, Arahi, for for stopping by and letting us giving us a, a more than a peek, actually, sort of a walkthrough of that. I don't know what's it called, right? The Premier League of of research. Of research, yeah. Well, thought leadership is where it ends up for us, but you made it very clear that it's but much broader as, as you pick it up. So that was also helpful. Um, typically, we ask guests at the end where they where they can find out more about you, given that you are um, still in the position you are in. So I'm guessing people can find you on LinkedIn and I'm not going to ask for your next thing, but do you have any piece of research you're excited about? Do you have anything you want to plug at the end here? Feel, feel free to do so. Um, well, that's a tricky one. Uh, well, I am on LinkedIn and you, you can find some of the, um, the research we've done there over the years at, you know, that I've I've done, uh, but it's also interesting to look at some of the articles that came out of it, uh, and and how they are so different from the the research we publish. So, um, yeah, that's that's a um, so you can can I clarify that? So you publish a piece of research which your team has worked on, and then there is a third party article about the your data or the subject matter. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So the bilan articles we do, which feed off the research, um, can be quite tangential, and and it's it's always interesting to read those too. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we can have an offline discussion if you have a good example. I'm happy to put it in the show notes for people because I think that goes back to your the point you made earlier about the ongoing long term return. Right. The research might have been yeah. about X. But then uh, uh, there is an Harvard Business Review article, which is about a tiny, tiny fraction of X, or even tangential, as you said. But that's still, that still comes out of the same mm -hmm. basis of data points. Which I think that's that's the one point I have at the end. Ash is maybe a takeaway for listeners if if they stuck with us, even if they don't have this huge large scale programs. I think this this very idea of thinking about your research in more of a program character, and then really doing more based on. The, the data you've gathered, that's probably a lesson like all of us can take away with, right? Because that's often, or even the small projects, I think, have lots of potential. It's not just the one PDF landing page and three tweets, right? You could think about how this could last you much longer um, yeah. in many cases. I don't know. Do you have anything else, Ash, or was that? No, I think this has yeah. been a really you know good discussion, and I feel like our audience can learn a lot from this. So, yeah, I think... We are good, and thank you for joining us, Arohi. It's been great having you and having this discussion here. Nice. Yeah, no, thank you for having me.
We're on time. I'm going to stop the recording here. Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us. 